Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Last time we were here, we started Ephesians 1, 3, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. One thing we're going to look at tonight, and last time we were here, we, we looked at that, at the concept that the start of verse 3, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the Greek word there that's translated blessed is um, a word where we get our English word for eulogy. And it literally means to speak well of. And it's speaking of, of God the Father's character. And we looked at all of those verses in Psalms that talk about praising God. But the one that just stuck out to me, and it, and it kind of goes along with the second part of verse 3 where it says that we have been blessed already. It's already done with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And the one that, that spoke that to me was Psalm 68, 19. It says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. And then it's followed with Selah, which means, think about that. I mean, that's, you know, um, we, we just prayed, you know, for healing. And sometimes, I know I do, um, you, if you just don't keep yourself constant, you, you get, you know, attacked in body. And we live in natural bodies and, and you know, you don't rest it, you, you mistreat it, it's going to get tired. And you're much more susceptible to things. And, but we, we get to thinking, and, and I've heard this, oh Lord, I've heard in a lot of the circles I used to run in. Well, God's trying to teach me something through this. And we get, and, and even if you don't go that far, sometimes you just get passive and think, well, this is just part of being in a natural body. Well, being in a natural body does mean that we are subject to weaknesses, physical weaknesses. We are sometimes, we are subject physically to being attacked uh, because we, we are in a natural body. But one of the benefits that he loads us daily with, one of the benefits of our salvation is that we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. And every sickness and every disease is, is under that curse of the law. So I know that any time my body gets attacked, it's not God's will for me to be sick. Never. And, but sometimes we just get passive about it. It's just you get tired of the fight, you get tired of the struggle, and... You just don't want to, you just want to lay down and relax a while. Well, I understand that and I can identify with that. But when you surrender to the enemy, you're captured. You're not free. And we just need to keep fighting even when it's hard. 
And we need, and, and the, it's not a physical fight, but it is a spiritual fight, and we just need to keep declaring, I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. I've been redeemed from sickness. I've been redeemed from poverty. All of those things can come against us, but we have weapons. We have the word that we can go back and declare, no, that's not, that's not part of my inheritance. No, it's not part of my inheritance. I am going to praise you, and that's where it comes back to what we looked at. Our salvation should be should lead to the number one thing it should lead is to us just praising God for everything he's done for us. Now, I know sometimes that gets hard because there's also a struggle. The New Testament is very clear that we will be blessed if we suffer with him. Now, what we have to understand in that suffering, though, because people will, I've had people tell me, well, I'm suffering for Jesus through this cancer, or I'm suffering for Jesus through this headache or through this cold or, or whatever, the, whatever the ailment. But in all of that, you have to keep in mind, there are some things that Jesus suffered as our example, and we're to follow him in that. He was persecuted. He was reviled. He was disliked. All because he preached the word and he stood up for righteousness. But he, then he also suffered some things as our substitute. And what he suffered as our substitute, we should never accept. Chief among them, sin. And people will tell, I've had people tell me, well, I'm a sinner. And therefore, you know, sickness is the result of sin. Well, it can be. That still doesn't make it, if I'm a Christian, it still doesn't give the devil permission to enforce that in my life. Now, if God witnesses to me and says, look, this, what you're dealing with right here is a direct result of this sin in your life, then that, the, 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 um, the answer to that becomes quite obvious. I ask forgiveness of that sin, get out from under the, the guilt of that sin, and then resist the devil because it's all under it's 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 under the blood at that point but there has to be a resistance and one of the best ways to resist the devil is to stay in constant praise we just read the new king james version of, of ephesians 1 3. i love the message the very first part of the message for that verse 3 it says how blessed is god and what a blessing he is he is a blessing because he is blessed. It's, it's like um, the old adage, you can only get out of a sponge what's in the sponge. When, when life squeezes me, what's really on the inside of me comes out. Because I've had people say, well, I'm just tired. That's why I'm acting the way I am. Well, the tiredness may may get you to the point where you're not real careful. You're not being really diplomatic in how you say things. You're not using a lot of tact. But what, you know, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if you haven't filled your heart with the word, a lot of times what comes out of your mouth is what you have filled your heart with. And in this case, it's the soulish realm, the mind, the will, the emotions. And it's garbage. It's not godly. It's not... Um, it certainly doesn't reflect the character of Christ. And then um, the, new, the New Living Translation, this is Ephesians 1.3, says, All praise to God, 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. I like that last part. The reason we can praise God, first of all, because he deserves it, but secondly, because we know what we have because we are united with Christ. It's not Christ, it's, it's not I who live, but it's Christ in me. But until I get a real revelation of that, until I get a real knowledge that that really is the real me, when, you know, I know when, um, when the devil looks at me, well, there's this little meme that's been running through um, Facebook, and I've seen it a, a million times, but it's, it is very applicable. It says, the, the devil knows who you are, but calls you by your sin. Jesus calls us, he knows we have sinned, but he calls us by name. And you see that in, in um, um, Romans 8, towards the end of it, where it says, um, he, who he who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to his image. The message part of that, it says that he called us by name. It's a, the King James, or New King James says, moreover, whom he predestined, this is Romans 8.30, whom he predestined, these he also called. Message says those he predestined, he called by name. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he glorified. He's the start of all of this, and, and, and we should be praising him. Now, a couple of the really, um, Paul, in this, in this section here, in this verse, he's thinking along three lines. First line is this is all God's choice. Turn to John chapter 15. It's in verse 16 and 17. This is Jesus speaking. And in verse 16, he says, you did not choose me. I love that. I mean, that's just, it's like, this is not my idea. He chose me. He says, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. Now, his choice of us has some stipulations with it. If you want to walk in the blessings, you have to obey the commandments. Chief among those, love one another. But this all happened. In fact, let's go back to Ephesians real quick. We, we're, we're really looking at verse 3, although this thing all weaves itself together. But Paul deals with this thought in verse 4. He said, um, well, it's... Verse 3 is the start of the sentence. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. That really mimics John 15, 16, and 17. God chose us. Jesus chose us. He says, I did not choose, or you did not choose me, but I chose you. But then he followed it up. This is my command for you. Love one another. He chose us in him, but he chose us that we should be holy and without blame before him 
in love. That means that's part of that character, the Christian character that ought to be coming out of us is loving one another. But I love the fact that he says this was before the foundation of the world. The Greek word there for world is the world cosmos. If it was talking about the earth, it would be the word geo, where we get geology. It's not, it doesn't mean the earth, it means the entire universe. It means this whole system. Teaching science for all the years I taught one of the precepts that you try to get across, because I was, I, I, I really get, I'm like, in science, I'm kind of like I am in Bible study. I get caught up in the details, and I love the details, but I also want to be a big picture kind of guy. And one of the, the traits that we see in our universe, there, there are two primary ones that reflect God's character in here. One is cause and effect. It's the whole basis of the scientific theory. We can only extrapolate and, and, and think of why things happen because we know if we see something, there had to be a cause for it. And we think backwards to say, well, if this is happening, what would the cause be if you can't observe the cause? Well, we do, we do the same thing in salvation. If, if I am saved, what's the cause of my salvation? Well, the other, the other primary principle of this cosmos that God created is the law of entropy, which basically says that, that we're going from a, a state of order to disorder. And it, it started with the, the um, um, fall of Lucifer and then was consummated in the fall of mankind through Adam. And we are, this universe literally is winding down we, there's plenty of energy still available. Our sun got another, I don't know, couple of billion years of fuel. But eventually, all of the stars, if, if, you know, if you just let this natural world run, you know, forget about Jesus coming back, forget about a new universe. You just let this thing go on forever, for all eternity, so to speak. Eventually, you run out of all the fuel. And eventually... All of the energy that's available gets so spread out and so diffuse that the universe just freezes. There's no more energy that's available to use. It's too, it's too diverse. That is melding my knowledge of science and theology. I believe that's the result of sin. There, you, you have to have a, a, a source of energy, spiritual energy, outside this universe to keep it going, to keep it eternal. Our universe that we live in is not eternal. I have people, I had a student one time when I was teaching Bible, and he argued against the Big Bang Theory because it didn't say anything about Jesus, and it didn't reference God. And I, I tried to convince him and tried to... It, educate him and I failed miserably at it. The whole term Big Bang was thought up of the opponents of the theory because basically if you if you reduce the Big Bang theory to its root, it says that there was a beginning of the universe. There was a t there not a time, but there was a moment right before the Big Bang that nothing existed. No space, no time, no matter, no energy. Well, what was there? Nothing. And then out of nothing sprang the entire universe. 
And they say, well, yeah, but there's no mention of God there. Well, there we come back to the cause and effect. <laughs> if nothing erupts into something, there had to be a cause. Now, the cause stands outside of our universe. You know, people, and it's amazing today, uh, people want to argue just over when it happened, not that it happened. And, and the reason it was derided and in, in that the term Big Bang was a derisive uh, terminology come up with by um, astrophysicists to shun people who believe, oh, yeah, you just believe bang. It all was created. It was a Big Bang. Because at the time that this theory was first proposed, the, 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 the um, standing theory was that the universe was eternal. It had existed for all time, and it will exist forever. With that, you could prove naturalistic causes for evolution, for every anti-supernatural or materialistic theory that you come up with. If you have unlimited amounts of time, they all can't possibly theoretically work out. The Big Bang, none of it works out. There's not enough time. Even the old Earth theory. 13 and a half billion years is, is go back to the creation event. And as a, theolo as a scientist, I call it Big Bang. As a theologian, I call it the creation event. Talking about the same thing. It's just two different words describing it from two different points of view. But even at three and a half or 13 and a half billion years ago, there's not enough time for the natural materialistic theories of evolution and and other things to take place. So it, 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 it throws a monkey wrench in all of that and brings us back to the cause and effect. What happened? What caused the universe to exist? Well, God happened. When, and I, I love verse four, it says that he chose us before the foundation of the world. The foundation of our world is the physical, the physicality. The, the, all of the physical laws, the material, you know, the atoms, the, the molecules, the, the energy, that is the foundation of our physical universe that makes up our bodies. Before that ever existed, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit all got together and said, we're going to do this. The universe didn't exist. I personally believe that even the angels didn't exist. I think God made this decision when it was just the Trinity, just the Godhead. And the, and the reason I look at it where it was just the Godhead is this decision, this choice, was not made as a reaction to the fall. It was made as a conscious choice. We're going to create angels, Lucifer will fall, we will create the universe and plant man in this, in this planet. Man will fall. Jesus, you will have to step into time, take on a human body, and die this death. It, it's, it's a perfect picture. I mean, it's kind of um, verse 2 and 3. It's, it's a little cryptic. But you see the Trinity expressed there. In that, you see God making this decision that we're going to do this. 
This is the salvation that he's bringing. In fact, you can see, let's just read through them. You see the father, if you go on down through here, remember, verse 3 through 14 is one sentence in, in the Greek. But if you look at, um, let's start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's talking about the Father, and it's in it, but it, then it's showing the results in the Son. But in verse 4 through 6, we see the Father, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. When it's talking about the will he chose. It's the father who is the directive of all of this. The father is the one making the decisions. It's literally played out through Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit's job is to reveal it and make it happen. And then in verse six, and all of these sections will end with some type of praise, taking us back to the theme that Paul started, that God is worthy of praise. And verse 6 says, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And then we see Jesus, we see Jesus in those verses, but we also see him in 7 through 12. He said, in him we have redemption through his blood. Obviously, this is now referring to the second person. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It's the grace of Christ which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. He decided, I'm going to do this. The Father wants me to do this. I choose to follow God's will. And then verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on on the earth in him. We're in part of that dispensation of the times, which is the church age, because we are one new man, Jew and Gentile. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. There's just Christian and, and non-Christian. That's how God looks at the world. And then verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And then verse 13 and 14, we see the Holy Spirit. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. There we see the Holy Spirit not only drew us to that knowledge, he gave us the faith to believe in, in our salvation. And then he comes and he seals us and he becomes the guarantee. My mother, stepmom died um, back in the end, towards the end of the summer and I'm having to process her estate right now. And I haven't had huge problems, family problems. I know some people, it's amazing. I mean, you've heard, you know, I've, I've known families that had a bucket and, um, you know, and a scoop and that was the entire inheritance and they fought like cats and dogs over who was going to get the bucket and who was going to get the scoop. 
But in, in processing all of this, I have, uh, my dad and stepmom had a, living, had a living trust. Well, the trust lines out what my responsibilities are. Jesus has a covenant with us that when he died, we inherited what he said we are going to inherit from his death. But, and we have that covenant here in his word, but we even have more. He came back out of the grave and is now through the Holy Spirit standing and saying, I'm going to enforce this covenant, which again ought to lead us to boundless praise. I mean, thank God I'm, I'm not where I was. I'm not subject to the things that I was subject to. I was a slave to sin. I still have the capacity to sin, but I don't have to stay in it. When I come to my senses and I decide that's enough, I'm out. I can step out of it. It has no hold on me. And I know that's got to frustrate the devil. Works hard, works hard, tempts you, leads you, finally gets you out there and you realize you're out in the middle of the, of the pigsty and you say, one, you know, you wake up one day and it's like, why am I out here? I'm heading back to father's house and he wants to grab you and he just can't hang on to you. And you can walk right out of it and go right back into fellowship with the father and get forgiveness. That's what, what 1 John 1, 9 is all about. But then not only do we have this, the first part about that, that Paul said, you know, this is all about God's choice, but we also have the bounty of God's choice. There are certain things that we can obtain through our faith, but you have to keep in mind, our faith is still a gift. It's God's faith that he gave us. He gives us the ability to walk in that faith. But there are some things that we have to earn by faith. And I hesitate to use that word earn, but if we're not going to act in faith for it, and the reason I say that, I know a lot of Christians, they're just passive. Well, if God wants to bless me, he knows my address. Well, yeah, and if my father wanted to bless me, he could, you know, when he was alive, he could get in his car and drive and, and bring me cash, but he... If he'd already said, look, I've got a checking account here for you. Here's a checkbook. It's full of money. Just, you know, anytime you need something, write a check. Well, if I'm waiting him to drive up and hand me cash when he's giving me a checkbook. I need to write the check. And I only need to, need to be passive. Well, there are some things that we need to write our check in faith for and stand on the word and say, this is mine. But there are also some things that only God can do. There are doors that only God can open. And there are things that only God can, will call us into and cause us to be able to walk in. Now that doesn't, that, that, that's a, most of those are specific callings to do specific activities. The general promises that we have for, you know, the blessings of the law, because we're in Christ now. He has, the, you know, he has a perfect right to walk in the blessing of keeping the law because he kept it. Well, in him, united with him, we have that right. But since in our flesh we walked in unrighteousness, we have to fight for those rights. But there are some things that God can, can do and provide. The best one we already looked, God provided us grace and peace. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. You go to Israel today, 
Jews will greet Jews, shalom. That literally means nothing missing, nothing broken. I, I love that. It's like every time you meet somebody, we would say, hi, how you doing? Well, God says, here's a greeting for you. Look at each other and say, hey, there's nothing missing in your life and there's nothing broken in your life. I made everything perfect. I need to be reminded of that. <laughs> a lot. Because I forget that. And, and, and then it, it's his choice. He, he made that real through the contract of adoption, which we've already gone um, through that. And the Roman concept, which Paul was quite familiar with, of adoption, the adopted child literally had more rights than a natural child. A natural child could be disowned, disinherited, an adopted child could not be. When you're adopted into the family, God says, no one will pluck you from my hand. Um, you know, the, the, the big controversy in today's Christian world is, you know, do you believe in once saved, always saved? And I loved, I think it was Kenneth Copeland I heard say this years ago. He said, I don't really care. I'm not looking for a way out. Um, I, but, but there is an importance, and, and, and this is why I preach right up against the edge of once saved, always saved. Well, I don't believe it. Well, let's put it this way. If you have a desire to push the limits on, on sinning and walking in your flesh, then I start to question whether you truly are born again. But if I am born again, I still have the ability and the capacity to sin. If I don't have a knowledge of the word, I'm not going to be able to walk in, in holiness. Because uh, I had people say, well, you say you were, you were saved at eight, but you lived in gross sin from 17 to 28, 29. How could you do that? Because I didn't know what the word said. Nobody ever preached. I have a, a preacher friend that I follow a lot. And we have very similar backgrounds in that we were both raised Baptist. Uh, he lost his mom to cancer at a very young age. I lost my mom to cancer at a very young age. The difference was he grew up in a Baptist church that preached who you were in Christ constantly. I never heard the, con heard the, 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 the phrase who you are in Christ until probably in my early 30s. Had no concept of what it could mean. And it, consequently, I just had, I was walking in my own strength and I got exhausted and I finally quit. Well, we have been adopted. God, God has, has told us. In fact, Romans 8, we were back there a minute ago in 15 through 17. He tells us, you did not receive the spirit of bondage to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, a very intimate term, Daddy. The and I've said this before, you know, my, my kids are, are adopted. They were not mine by birth. But I never looked at them as adopted. In fact, I, I had to, some, one of my students one time reminded me that they were adopted, and I had to stop to think, oh, yeah. Because th there is their father, who's deceased now, but I was dad. I was the one who was there through thick and thin. I was the one who 
supported them and raised them and prayed with them and cried with them and, and had to spank their butts when they needed it and put them on restrictions when they were teenagers and, you know, picked them up and brushed them off. That made me their dad. Forget the genetics. Genetics, who cares the, the, the genetics? It's are you there for them? Well, that's what God's saying. You are my children. You, you, there, there is a spiritual DNA. He's made us like him. But he looks at that rather than looking at who we are in our physical bodies and who we are when we get caught up in, in, in that old fleshly nature and express that fleshly, fleshly nature. We have to realize there is a, we are joint heirs with Christ. And then the third one was the purpose of God's choice. All of God's riches. That's what he said here in verse three. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every blessing that's available in heaven. Every blessing that's available in the nature of Jesus Christ is ours right now. It belongs to us. His, he, his holiness is made available. He exchanged his holiness for our unrighteousness. Verse, verse 4 tells us at the end of it why. The purpose of it, that we should be holy and without blame before him. God's the, the purpose was that we should be different and separate. Not separate in the sense that the Amish are. You know, I don't have anything. I knew several Amish people. They're good people by and large. But I don't believe that's what God called. He didn't tell us to be, to, to come. When he said come out of them, I don't think he meant to live apart from them and give up on all of modern conveniences. Living without electricity and modern te technology does not make you holy. But living in the midst of your world but being different means be a different type of person. Be holy. When people curse you and revile you, answer with blessing rather than cursing. That's not easy. That takes, and in fact, I used to tell, especially the boys in school when I taught school, you want to really prove that you're a strong man? Because I'd hear that all the time. Don't call me a kid. Don't treat me like a kid. I'm 18. I'm an adult. I always laughed when they said that. It's like, no, I'm sorry. Adults go to work in the morning. They don't get up and have mama fix some breakfast and send you off to school. You may be 18. You may legally be considered you can go out on your own. But if you're living at home with mom and dad and you're still in school, you are not an adult. A functioning adult doesn't do that. They may go to school. I went to, I'm still going to school. You know, I have a feeling I'll be, I'll probably die in a classroom when I'm 90, but you know, I'll always be going to school. But it's not an age thing, but I would tell them, you really want to be a man? Then when somebody comes at you, rather than going right back at them, just take the blow and, and, and not return the hatred. Couldn't do it. Very rarely could I ever see anybody do it. And the few that could, and I've done it a few times in my life, and then you get to, you may, you may do it on 
the outside, but on the inside you're seething and you walk away and you just, you know, it's like Larry Lee used to say, you, 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 you say you forgive someone and you treat them nicely and then you walk away, and, but you keep them in a little clay, cage in your chest. And every once in a while you open your chest up, you pull that cage out, you release them and you smack them around a little bit, you stick them back in the cage and then stick them back in your heart. Uh, it, it's, you know, we need to walk away from some of these things. Uh, William Barclay said this, he said, the tendency in the modern church, and this was, he wrote this back in the 50s or 60s. So and it's, I think it's even more so today. But he said, the tendency in the modern church has been to play down the difference between the church and the world. We have in effect often said to people, so long as you live a decent, respectable life, it's quite all right to become a church member to call yourself a Christian. And that is true. We, that has, that, that's what, what I call a cultural Christian. Cultural Christian thinks, well, I'm a Christian because I go to church. No, you go to church because you're a Christian. Coming in, and it's the same way, you know, I've used the illustration. I can go sit in my garage and go vroom, vroom and, and, and you know, exhaust gas out of my body till the cows come home. It doesn't make me a car. Being at church doesn't make you a Christian. We have been taken out of the world. That's why we're supposed to be different than the world. We have been sealed. If the grace that we live under, verse 2 said grace and peace to you from God our Father. If the grace that we live under doesn't produce holiness, it's not real grace. That for me, that's the answer to once saved, always saved. Well, that person said the sinner's prayer and they're not living like it. Well, maybe they just said words to get you off their back. I can remember going out on, on uh, evangelism calls and I know some people prayed with me just to get me out of their, their face, just to get me away from them. I want this to be done. Well, my heart was right and I believe that, you know, um, hopefully seeds were sown if they didn't, if they weren't sincere in their their prayer. But saying a prayer doesn't save you. Turning your life around saves you. It's just, it's just a, a, a fine line of difference there. The caveat of that is we live holy because we have God's grace, not to get God's grace. If we're seeking to get something from God by the way we live, then our motivation is wrong. Um, he's already given us his grace and therefore, I owe it to him. Again, God, Barclay said this, God's grace thinks of taking every part of our life, work, pleasure, sport, home life, personal relationships, making all of them such that they can be offered to God. The word does not mean that the Christian must be respectable. It means he must be perfect. To say that the Christian must be without blame, in verse 4, this must banish the, the contentment with second best. It means that the Christian standard is nothing less than perfection. Now, I'm not perfect on the outside. On the inside, I am. God made me perfect. His grace ought to be, we've seen it, uh, I've preached on it more than I can count. Um, one of my favorite scriptures, um, Romans 12, 1 through 3, 
Um, I beseech you. It's Paul. He's begging. That's what beseech means. I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That comes back to knowing the word. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We prove out the will of God in our own lives by allowing the word to transform our minds and transform how we live. Why? Because God's poured out his grace and his peace. And it's a choice. And it's a fight. But you have to choose to fight. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com.